Since 1984, the Criterion Collection has been dedicated to publishing important classic and contemporary films from around the world in editions that offer the highest technical quality and award-winning original supplements. No matter the medium, Criterion has maintained its pioneering commitment to presenting each film as its maker would want it seen, in state-of-the-art restorations with special features designed to encourage repeated watching and deepen the viewer's appreciation of the art of film. This is the Criterion Connection, where we journey through those films together by connecting them to each other through thematic, cast, and crew members, or any other various elements. Welcome to The Criterion Connection, a podcast where two film lovers explore the Criterion Collection by connecting these iconic films to each other through the greater tapestry of cinema. Each week, we'll discuss a film that is connected in some way to the film we watched the previous week, except for this week, where we are starting a new connection. And the only caveat is that every film we discuss must be a part of the Criterion Collection. We'll also be highlighting new additions to the collection, as we will this week, great hidden gems on the Criterion channel, and more. As always, I am Mackenzie, and this is my lovely co-host, Ian. Hello, Mackenzie. <laughs> Hello. And this week is another big week. We are discussing spine number 1,154, recent addition to the collection, Cassie Lemons' Eve's Bayou. What a debut feature. We will get into it, but what a debut. Yeah, what a debut, and what just like a amazing cast of characters from people like very early on in their careers including one journey smollett is it journey smollett or journey smollett i've always said smollett but i i'm actually not and now i'm doubting myself if that's true i think it's journey smollett let's go we're gonna stick with journey smollett for the rest of the episode um <laughs> and also i want to say i i joked you know this is our new this is our fresh connection we're not technically connecting to do the right thing but we do, do share two cast members from do the right thing into eve's bayou so there is a light connection there even if we're not necessarily connecting to yeah, last week a uh a uh a like uh somewhat of a triple feature this week almost and truly week. yeah um but yeah no before we get into that Mackenzie, though tell me i know it hasn't been a lot but what have you been watching over the past week Oh yeah, I've you know I've been a little under the weather and busy as hell, um, and so I've been leaning on my comfort watches, which is Discovery Plus, uh, Food Network TV shows. So I've mm. not watched a lot, and also just like <laughs> a lot of great TV happening right now. As I say, a lot on ADP with Succession and Barry and Yellow Jackets. Like TV's keeping me busy, so low low stakes movie week for me. Um, just another plug i guess for the real latinos boys i did check out nacho libre for the very first time uh and it was a delight i didn't realize how uh wes anderson-y it was gonna be i was very shocked was oh, this the first that. watch for you yeah i'd never seen nacho oh, libre wow. before uh and i was completely delighted obviously get that cone out of my face is like Ismael the is line. cheering hooping and hollering <laughs> in his seat right now yes it was it was really really good and the episode on it was so wonderful so much joy and so much love in that premiere of real latinos uh and i also watched memories of underdevelopment which i i told you off mic i don't know if i gave it the attention i should have um but i have that episode of real latinos queued up so i was on a real latinos kick this week um but the other thing i watched is weirdly netflix like stealth dropped this random documentary <laughs> that i just kind of saw was suggested to me and when i go to letterboxd like 40 people have reviewed this like no one has watched this documentary so if you have a netflix subscription you can watch it right now it's called call me kate and it is a documentary about uh katherine hepburn who is an old hollywood actress who i adore uh i find her infinitely 
interesting. We talked about her a few weeks ago where I said I'm kind of a trans Catherine Hepburn truther. I think uh, mm-hmm. if Catherine Hepburn was alive today, um, she might have different language to describe her gender. Um, and they get into <laughs> it kind of in the, in the documentary about how she called, cut her hair and called herself Jimmy as a kid. And like her parents mm-hmm. just like accepted her the way she was. Um, but it's very interesting. It's, it's kind of dreamy. It's, there's like, I think I, be- again, there's like no information about this on the internet. So I cannot figure out who plays her, but there's an actress. I believe they have reading Catherine Hepburn's diaries in like first person. So she's kind of like, it gives the feeling of Catherine Hepburn sort of narrating her own life. It's, it's less of a talking head documentary and more of a inter- documentary that's pieced together with these diaries being read as well as old interviews with Catherine. Um, there's a few talking heads. So it's like totally kind of strange, not like your normal kind of old Hollywood biography documentary. Uh, but I found it to be really entertaining and she was just a very cool person. I'm sure it's not all encompassing, but I, I found it to be really lovely. And especially when they get into her tumultuous relationships with Howard mm. Hughes, as depicted in Martin Scorsese's The Aviator, as well as obviously the love of her life, Spencer Tracy, um, the man she was with until his death in the late 60s. And just how iconic it was that she sort of had this box office poison label and then was able to revive her career and then became really the only old Hollywood actress that was persevering in the late 60s and early 70s with a flourishing career, winning three of her four Academy Awards in her twilight years, uh, a feat that I don't think many actresses could pull off. So, um, yeah, she was just a really brilliant and, and interesting person. And it's a cool documentary. So. It's pretty much the only thing I watched this week. And if you have a Netflix subscription and 80 something minutes to waste, it's pretty short and breezy. Uh, and you're interested in Catherine Hepburn. Uh, I recommend it. Yeah. I saw it pop up on there. added it to my Netflix list. Um, <laughs> somebody will talk about it eventually because she has a movie or two in the collection. Yeah. Woman summertime, of the year. Right? Uh, summertime. Yes. Which is lovely. Summertime. Can I tell you the first time I watched summertime, I was, I ended up, at the latter half being like, I'm bored of this movie. And I was walking around my house doing other things. This was two years ago. I'm so sorry for who I was. (laughs) And I need to let you know that the final scene of that film is so to me, breathtakingly beautiful that I remember I was walking around my house and it stopped me in my tracks. And I was standing in front of the television. Like I was watching a sports game, just bawling my eyes out. (laughs) It was a movie I did not think I liked. And then it really, really hit me in the end. So I, w- I would love to talk about summertime and um, woman of the year. She, I think she has a cup. She has another, maybe another one. I might yeah. be making that up, but she's, she's definitely at least a few. She's around. She's around. So yeah. we'll talk yeah. about her eventually. Oh, wait. Oh my God. I just wrote Philadelphia story is a huge one and holiday. Yes. Two movies I adore that she's in, so in the collection. Four, then. God. Yeah. I can't believe I forgot about those two that I actively love. <laughs> That's so silly. Oh, bringing a baby. Oh my God. Oh yeah. That's okay. I take it back. I've seen that one. Okay, I'm just like remembering all the Criterion films she has <laughs> slowly but surely. Man, I really undersold it, didn't I? I, I mean, same. I was just like, surely she can only have two, but it's like, no, she has like 15 apparently. <laughs> Gosh, uh, yeah, no, that 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 definitely caught my eye last uh, week when I was kind of surfing Netflix or something to watch. I didn't really get to that much, but I'll definitely check it out. I think when we when we cover uh, Catherine Hepburn at some point. Yeah, I think it'll be fun. But, Ian, I want to know, you probably watched more than me, so I want to ask what you watched this week. What did you check out? Uh, it doesn't feel like it, but yes, I watched so much over the past week. I finally 
did the thing. I broke open the bank and I bought myself a 4K UHD <gasps> player. And with that, Ooh. some 4K discs. Um, so, you know, without going too deeply into most of them, I did pick up this beautiful box set by Curzon, a uh, United Kingdom competitor or a counterpart more so to the Criterion Collection. They uh, restore and publish classic and contemporary films from abroad and in the United Kingdom. Uh beautiful box set of the three colors trilogy mm. so i watched three colors blue with juliette bonoche for the second time it looked amazing and then i also picked up from curzon a 4k restoration of another kieslowski film the double life of veronic or veronic i can't never say that name uh we say veronica in the states but you know oh. the double life of veronique uh, veronique. I is the name. veronique veronique um, I don't know. Is that even French? I might be making something up. <laughs> it's French, yes. Okay, okay, uh, good, good, good. And the Polish uh, is is spelled with a W, but it's still s- pronounced Veronique. Um, anyway, I, I watched uh, Three Colors Blue, and then I watched this uh, for the first time with a couple of buddies of mine. And this film has like stayed with me since I watched it the mm. night after the night we recorded our Do the Right Thing episode, and it's just lingered with me. I've been listening to the score on repeat since i saw it it's this like you know beautifully haunting choral score that's like plays an integral part in the plot uh it you know is all about chance and mortality and love and it's just it's such an emotional and haunting tale of like the possibility that there's a you know like supernatural connection to somebody else out there mm-hmm. even if you never know them or meet them uh i can't recommend it enough i'm pretty sure it's streaming on the criterion channel Mm -hmm. if people want to check it out um but it's also available on disc from criterion um you don't have to be silly like me and get an import of it from the united (laughs) kingdom just so you can watch it in 4k uhd um i bet it's coming to 4k on the criterion in the very near future since it's since that scan is out there and uh you know readily accessible it seems but yeah that's just uh, the main thing I wanted to spotlight, I also watched a, another Criterion film called Valerie and Her Week of Wonders, a film we will never talk about on this podcast. <laughs> and if people want to know why, they can do their own research. Uh, Google is a thing. Um, That's a Criterion film? That is a Criterion film, unfortunately. Oh, gross. Yes. Okay. Yeah, but w- I did my but, own Googling, know, which is why I'm saying gross. Anyway, uh, enough about what I watched, Mackenzie. Uh, we got some news, some, you know previously scheduled news we knew it was coming uh but we were not prepared for the lack of excitement from ourselves and our friends i will say (laughs) there are some things in this list that i am you know kind of excited to see um and i know you might be as well but what i'm talking about is the new additions to the criterion collection coming next august do you want to take two and i'll take two sure i'll take the new additions because this is actually a very light um months it's only there's only two new editions correct and then there's two or no there's three new editions and then one yeah so there's three new editions and one new restoration which i'll cover in just a sec but yeah no i mean i i'm no expert honestly i know we you and i host a podcast about the criterion collection uh mostly talking about movies in it but yeah we talk about the restorations and we talk about the new editions and what's on the channel but i am aware that like you know 
August and September are fairly slow months for things getting added to the collection. They're, you know, they get a lot of cool stuff. They release it during the summer and then they kind of want to build up anticipation for their winter releases because, of course, you got the November sale, um, which is when they're probably waiting to drop something big. And then also the Christmas buying season. So, you know, I just I just think it's, you know, a slower month because they don't have so much at stake. But I'm kind of excited for some of these things. So why don't you go ahead and run us down two, and then I'll get the back end. Yeah, so the first new edition is spine number 1189. It is a uh, box set of Bo Widerbergs. I'm not sure how to say that last name. Probably new Vidaberg. Swedish Vigdeberg. Yeah, I would assume if they're Swedish, New Swedish Cinema. Uh, and that includes four films 1963's The Baby Carriage, 1963's Raven's End, 1967's Elvira Madigan, and 1969's, I'm going to butcher this, Idlin. 31 the a has a little circle on top of it i have no idea what that sounds like but uh the second new edition is what i'm the most excited to see which is spine number 1190 1998 dry long so uh directed by colleen smith and why don't you take the other two yeah so after dry long so we have spine number 1188 dim sum a little bit of the heart uh by director wayne wang uh from 1992 this is also going to be from the same director who made the recently added chan is missing which is on the criterion channel right now in their uh american asian asian 80s collection and then the final edition is going to be something we've had for a minute it's just a new restoration in 4k uhd of spy number 842 akira kurosawa's dreams and while i've not seen this film i am aware that this is one of his you know uh color films which are you know kind of farther and fewer between for a director who worked in many different decades made a lot of black and white films and apparently this is the film that got him his uh i think one and only oscar thanks to Mm. basically george lucas and francis ford coppola championing the film it's very surreal um, and it's based on Kurosawa's own dreams. It's like a lot of vignettes based on his actual dreaming. Um, so yeah, that's coming at the end of August, I believe. That'll be the last thing they release. But yeah, I mean, I'm excited for that. I'm also I'm also the most excited though for the one you are, Mackenzie, is uh, mm-hmm. Dry Long So. This one sounds really cool. And as we've been talking a little bit recently, this is a female woman of... Uh, <laughs> This is a uh, woman of color filmmaker, which, again, we just keep on seeing uh, female filmmakers getting added to the collection and even more so than white women, women of color, which I think is just excellent for representation. Also, just the stories that are getting preserved by Criterion. Yeah, I agree. I think that I I was curious. I I kind of had an inkling dry long, so it was going to be added because a new 4K restoration of it was playing up in New York for a while. And there is Mm. a reviewer who I love named Robert Daniels, um, who he was like loving this movie. And he wrote a really amazing um, article about it and about the restoration. And it got me really interested in it. So I added it to my watch list. And when I saw that there was a 4K, I was like, I'm curious if it's going to come to Criterion. So I, I wasn't shocked, but I was very excited to see it finally appearing. Um, and I agree. Like, I, I can see that Criterion is intentionally trying to broaden the voices. And every single drop feels like it is broadening those voices and the, those horizons a bit more for the collection. Um, you know, it's DIY filmmaking. I always love a female director. I'm excited. Mm. But I am also mm. really excited for Akira Kurosawa's dreams. I love Kurosawa. I'm excited to talk about him on the podcast one day. 
and watch more of his films. I've also not seen Dreams, but man, I know it's not going to happen, but I would love it if they would restore that Kurosawa 100 box set that they put out many moons ago that is now completely out of print and you can buy it for like a thousand dollars on eBay. Um, (laughs) and it's all DVDs. Um, but it has every single Kurosawa film and, oh man, I, I don't think this is a sign that they're going to do it, but part of me wants to take it as one of like, he's on your mind. Come on. I would love to get a 4k box set of Kurosawa. Yeah, I mean, if anything, we might see like uh, 4K era sets like later Kurosawa or, you know, a box set of early Kurosawa or Kurosawa's samurai films, which would probably be huge in itself. Yeah, um, gosh. But yeah, no, and I, I do want to spotlight, you know, just a little bit because I saw a lot of our friends just in our, you know, insular communities uh, being a little bit like, meh. Um, I'm excited for the Wayne Wang film. This guy seems to be pretty important. I still haven't seen Chan is Missing, but I am um, serious about checking it out this month because it is on the Criterion channel at the moment. Um, And they seem to be really into him at the moment, Janice does. And they're putting, you know, Mm. this is the second film of his in just the past year that they're putting in the collection. Um, And seems to be a, you know, important Asian-American filmmaker of the past 40 years. Um, And then finally... Uh, Bo Vutterberg's uh, new Swedish cinema, cinema. This guy's got a couple um, films on the channel right now. A couple that are going to be included in this oh, collection. Wow. Yeah, and he's a he was a contemporary of Ingmar Bergman's, and he kept on making films well into the seventies. Uh, um, and I believe he died um, of lung cancer oh. either in the late seventies, early eighties. Um, but somebody who was a little bit more politically inclined than Ingmar Bergman. The films are apparently like speaking to women's issues, the issues of the working class in like very real um, serious ways. Like they, I haven't done a lot of research, but they strike me as a little bit more neorealist than Ingmar Mm. Bergman's films, which can sometimes be a little bit surreal or dreamlike. Um, These films uh, appear to be a little bit influenced by like the British new wave and the French new wave more so than, Bergman was but I'm excited to check them all out honestly it's a good day when Criterion adds something new um but yeah I mean like I don't know if there's uh anything else you want to say but that those those are my feelings Mackenzie no nothing else I want to say other than very recently I did speaking of Kurosawa found an out of print for a uh, copy DVD of ran from the criterion collection. Yes. And I bought it for $30, uh, which sounds like a lot for a DVD. But if you go on eBay, people are selling this thing for like a 90 to plus to a hundred plus. Yeah. Um, no, they clearly so, did not know what they had. No, not at all. And so all I'm saying is criterion, I will pay any amount of money for 4k's new editions of Kira Kurosawa movies. Should we? shift into our main episode discussion what the people are here to listen to yes (laughs) and i want to say you and i were talking off mic and if you're still listening and you're like not sure if you want to watch east bayou yet ian and i were both agreeing off mic that like if if you pick a movie from this podcast that you've never seen that you want to check out for the first time this is the one to do it with this is the gem that you've been waiting for i highly recommend if you have not watched this film to go watch this film um, because I just think that this is a, a really interesting movie that like none of my friends have seen and I would love more people to see this movie. So, yeah, I will uh, definitely second that Mackenzie and, you know, we're showing our cards just a little bit up front, but yeah, that's true. No, I mean like this is, 
This is a very interesting and very worthwhile film. So without further ado, let's get into it. Kind of love. I love to last past Saturday night. And I'd like to know it's more than love at first sight. Summer I Killed My Father, I was 10 years old. And so begins Cassie Lemon's spellbinding feature debut, an evocative journey into the maze of memory, steeped in fragrant Southern Gothic atmosphere. In 1960s Louisiana, a young girl sees her well-to-do family unravel in the wake of the infidelities of her charming father. Setting in motion a series of deceptions and betrayals that will upend her world and challenge her understanding of reality. Rooted in Creole history, folklore, and mysticism, Eve's Bayou is a scintillating showcase for a powerhouse ensemble of black actresses, including Lynn Whitfield, Debbie Morgan, and the legendary Diana Carroll as a voodoo princess. As well as a profoundly cathartic exploration of trauma, forgiveness, and the elusive nature of truth. Eve's Bayou. A certain kind of lover Who will show me the way And my arms need someone Someone to enfold To keep me warm When Mondays and Tuesdays grow cold So, as we tend to do, I don't think you have a history with Eve's Bayou, but I, I wanted to ask, you know, do you, do you have history with films of this kind, any of the actors involved in this movie, anything that brought you to Eve's Bayou or put it on your radar? You know, I have a history with a lot of the people in this film. Most notably, I think you cannot just be a casual moviegoer in the year 2023 and not have a deep relationship with Samuel L. Jackson, who is a <laughs> huge part of this film. Um, but doing something completely different than we've seen him done. Uh, the closest thing I think I've ever seen him in, to something like the role he portrays in this is Pulp Fiction, um, mm. which you have not seen. I have so not you wouldn't seen. know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, but Journey Smollett, um, I loved her in the short lived, but you know, pretty good uh hbo fantasy horror drama uh lovecraft lovecraft country <laughs> um i loved her in that i thought she was i thought she was excellent in that um even though that series had like a lot of flaws i really enjoyed her performance and you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm kind of familiar with cassie lemons she's the director of a lot of subpar biopics these days which we can get into this a little bit later if you want to we can not talk about it any more than this but like it's kind of sad for me because like we've already showed our hand a little bit as i said up front but like i think this is in a really awesome movie and yeah. i think a lot of that has to do with the atmosphere 
the tone setting and that's all lemons on the back end that's the direction like this film is incredibly well directed um but again that is stuff that we can talk about in a bit Mackenzie, mm-hmm. do you have any history with Cassie Lemons? Do you have any history with Eve's Bayou or any of the, you know, performers in this? I, yeah, I, I became aware of it. It's funny that you mentioned Lovecraft Country because uh, that's kind of how I became aware of it because I watched the first couple episodes of that. The body horror ended up becoming a bit too much for me. So I ended up kind of tapping out. Um, but it was, it was very cool and very well directed, very interesting. And I think Journey Smollett was like a highlight of that show. She was amazing in that. And in that show also has kind of Southern Gothic vibes, obviously, because it's dipping into that Lovecraftian nature while also rooting it in the lives of Southern Black people. And so I think that like Eve's Bayou came up a lot when she was on the, um, press tour for that so i was seeing i was hearing about east bayou a bunch because people on that press tour were comparing uh lovecraft country to east bayou and i was like what is this movie um and then again robert daniel i think is that is the reviewer who put it yet again on my radar when i became more of a cinephile and it's just been a movie that's been floating around that's interested me and especially when it hit the criterion collection i was like man i gotta check this movie out i keep hearing about it and now it's in the collection and that's why i just was like i'm just gonna pick it for the show because i just want a great excuse to watch it um, mm. And yeah, I mean, obviously the cast, once you get into it, the cast is amazing and it's filled with actresses who in my brain, I'm like, oh, I don't know. But then I like get in there. And I'm like, oh my God, of course, none of these people. You mentioned, you know, Dionne yeah. Carroll. She's like a legend of stage and screen uh, who unfortunately I mostly know from her amazing stint on Grey's Anatomy but she's been in many 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 (laughs) other uh films I mean Lynn Whitfield who we'll get into amazing people our age probably mostly know her um I think she was in the Cheetah Girls wasn't she in the Cheetah Girls might be crazy yeah I think she was the mom in uh, that yeah and well well I'll, I'll follow in suit and while you're naming one of the fantastic performers in this in relation to a she was in the Cheetah Girls somewhat embarrassing uh somewhat embarrassing uh you know uh daytime television show i don't know when um i don't know when that aired but uh debbie morgan who is one of my favorite performances she's amazing she was in one of my favorite shows for the fourth and fifth season of charmed growing up yeah what she was in charmed that's yeah that's what i recognize oh my gosh she was the seer oh my god that's (laughs) why yeah that's literally what i reckon i also recognized her from something else she was in love and basketball which i just watched and she's fucking amazing in that too she's the one of the moms in love and basketball and she's phenomenal in that um yeah so like every time a new actress appeared i was like do i know this person and then i would find out oh my god yes i know and i love this person um also vondi curtis hall who played uh julian with that horrific wig um he is iconic to me because he is in the opening sequence of he's the prince in romeo plus julia baz Luhrmann's. he's the put down oh, really? your swords yeah he's the cop at the oh, beginning shoot. of that um do you know the other fun fact about him in relation to this film in particular no what he is the husband of the filmmaker oh my god that's amazing yeah yeah Uh, i thought it was really kind of funny because he's got a pretty long uh makeout session with debbie morgan (laughs) yes he does yes he does (laughs) um and that oh my gosh and of course um megan good who's plays uh sicily in this i know her from deb's which is one of the iconic movies i have yes, to plug I was every going single to bring time it up if you didn't yeah every single time so basically i'm saying is most of my relation to this was once i got into the film i was like fuck me i love this cast so much um mm-hmm. it is a powerhouse of a cast and that's kind of my history i feel like i've totally gotten away from the point but maybe to move into the film a bit what a debut like i was just my jaw was on the floor that this was a debut feature film 
because mm-hmm. the tone is so perfect. The I think the direction is I think the direction is inventive and interesting. And you're right, the way that Lemons creates atmosphere, like it feels like she really knows this place and really knows this world. And you, it feels so lived in and so interesting and intricately made and so intricately crafted. And that's all lemons. Like it, brilliant, brilliant directing here and an amazing debut. And I didn't realize that she just directed the Whitney Houston biopic that, you know, basically no one saw, which as I agree is very sad that like that's been kind of ignored. But I heard good things about Harriet, even though it is kind of another biopic. I heard yeah. decent things about that. Um so like I'm glad she's still making movies, but like boy oh boy, like yeah. what a what an amazing debut! I, I you're right. A lot of her recent work is biopics. I would love her to get back to original, to something more original because this is just mind blowing to me as terms of the way she directed this film. Yeah, I mean I love uh, the the use of the word original. Um, you know, one of our friends Robert um wrote a review on letterbox that i saw and really loved because you noted that like this felt like an adaptation because the tone was so uh consistent and so strong like the vibes in this are immaculate the southern gothic texture of the film is just probably one of the best things about it and the way that it's you know it's set in the 60s but the way that it's that it's infused with unmistakable 90s filmmaking it actually Mm. just accentuates like the vibe i thought it was so just lovely and immersive and i you know i i don't i don't think this is something we need to talk about too much but i think it is interesting with female filmmakers um the amount of roadblocks that they're presented when Mm -hmm. entering the industry means that they're usually in their early to mid 30s if not older by the time they make their first feature and i think that's just maybe one of the reasons that this is feels so rich and strong especially as a debut film um it reminded me of a more recent film now definitely from a filmmaker who's much younger but after sun which a movie is a movie you and i both love which just has such strong uh tonal control and the aesthetics are so honed in in that film and they communicate the emotion of that story so well and i felt the same thing about eve's bayou because of all the kind of aesthetic and underlying things that we're talking about i felt like the emotional center of all the characters stories in this film was very well told very well executed i was just with these people so quickly like i was i was i was i was i was i was uh i was just on board with everything that was going on like almost immediately from the jump well it's funny i like i am doing apologies for the unprofessionalism but i'm doing like research on cast lemons as we discuss and i also wonder if part of why her directing feels so tight and so well done is i didn't realize she was an actress for such a long time before so i mean and god looking at her her uh credits are amazing she was in school days spike lee's school days Vampire's Kiss, mm-hmm. and, and I think now becoming iconic, Nick Cage performance, Silence of the Lambs, the one of the like seminal black horror films, Candyman. Uh, oh my gosh, she was in an episode of Murder, she wrote. My favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just, she, I wonder if maybe her experience as an actress on set also helped infuse that, that quality of her acting was that she was on set. She knew how to really like command a room maybe at this point in her career. She probably could watch other directors mess up to learn from their mistakes yeah. and come to bring this like really immense talent that she has clearly in a, in a really tight way to this film. And yeah, I was just kind of blown away by how well directed this movie was. Yeah. 
like the I think that's a really great point because if you think about contemporary filmmakers who started off as actors, the first person that always comes to mind, at least since last year, is Todd Field, mm, um, yeah, who's the recent director of Tar, a favorite of yours and I's. Uh, but you know, he got his start as an actor and he acted a lot, most notably as the you know piano man, uh, yes. Nightingale, and Eyes Wide Shut, one of my favorites. Um, but yeah, no, you listen to these uh, filmmakers talk about their experience acting, and that's what they talk about. They talked about how it was like uh going to film school yeah um, but you also i think learn how to talk to actors and you become a real actors director if you start off that way i think i think it's almost unavoidable that you are almost you're probably going to be good with actors if you come from that profession first um yeah no it's 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 really well directed but aside from that i think it's just a really imaginative story as well and i'm trying to like stop talking about the direction so we can talk about other things but <laughs> even just like wanting to you know talk about the story i loved the way that she approached the visions when it came to how she portrayed the sight of both maz and eve who both have like this like psychic power um the sequences where they can see like these premonitions of what's going to happen in the future or these tragedies that are going to strike um, I think it's like one of the best executions of that kind of supernatural phenomenon mm-hmm. I've ever seen. I think that can get, I think those kinds of things when you try to visualize them can get so muddy and like messed up so easily. And I was just really impressed by like that alone amongst all the other things that we're talking about. But I was wondering if like you had anything like that, that really stuck out to you. Maybe even that. I mean, it's funny because you were talking about the 90s style of filmmaking and like that was very 90s. Like the way those are shot with this kind of shaky hand cams with those like overly saturated black and white visions. Mm -hmm. Like that was the most 90s handprint on the film to me was the way those looked because they looked like they would be like a 90s music video clip kind of. I don't mean that negatively. Like I think it really works because it's one of those things where like those that that is immediately a a style that could like lose you like you could totally be lost immediately after that that could be like the thing that makes or breaks you with this film definitely didn't bother me at all i think that like any type of magical realism or supernatural kind of hints especially in the way they're done here where they're very subtle they're very slight um but very important to the plot i think that like they can be not done well and i think that she has a very deft hand the way she brings them into the story here because to me it was a fun surprise i had no idea that there was any supernatural stuff going on like i knew obviously that it's set in louisiana there's creole culture i figured that as we do see like voodoo and hoodoo were going to be involved you know in the plot i assumed but i didn't realize we were going to be going to like this like actively supernatural place and i kind of appreciate how they don't explain it. Like they're just like, this is what happens. And to me, that means I got to sort of make up my own lore because I kind of imagined like the original Eve, I presume had these kinds of powers. That's how she saved, you know, her who became the man who became the father of her children. And like, unless I explained that, I totally missed it. But to me, I was just felt like I was like, I felt like it was cool that the, like in my brain, it was this familial thing that clearly skips people, but like runs maybe in the the blood of this family in a way that I thought was interesting. And I loved how it connected Eve with her aunt. Like I loved their scenes together. Um, even though Rachel, my fiance was watching with me and she almost every time was like, I feel like she shouldn't be telling these things to a kid. Cause she was almost always saying very 
blunt and uh, very uh, intense yeah. things to this child. Uh, but I did, I, I don't know, the world felt so heightened and melodramatic. It was, um, someone on my letterbox compared it to the Cirque melodramas. And I agree. I love the style of kind of melodramatic acting with this kind of soap opera score. That's kind of the, that beautiful score that just immerses me even further into the world. I sink deeper into the bayou, if you will. Um, I just, yeah, I loved that the the psychic powers like brought the two of them together. And I almost, I loved all of their scenes. Um, and I loved something else that I loved in terms of thematic. I liked the juxtaposition between science and voodoo, right? Science and religion, how they kind of bring that in of like, the brother, the dad, the father, the patriarch of this family is very scientifically oriented and like actively doesn't want his sister practicing um, voodoo in their house, but like she does. And that is a very valid religion that she's following. And like, and, and the kind of clash between those two systems of belief I thought was interesting. The, the questioning of truth and what is the real truth I thought was obviously a huge interest. The way she films these scenes back to back to show us the different viewpoints of what the truth is it feels really prescient in the I hate to be this person the time of me too and the time of like he said she said and things like that like especially the initial scene where they do it where she re-shows the sequence of the cheating and makes the audience doubt you know I mean I guess I didn't really doubt like I was just like I don't believe this for a second but you know what I mean like she's trying to instill that doubt and that inability to trust the truth uh, that I think is really highlighted in the end in a way that's like, that's a bold swing. And I think it works here. Yeah, no, I mean, like, this is definitely like a memory piece in which we are playing with the construct of memory and remembering. Um, I agree with you 100%. Like, I never really was in doubt either about what the truth of the uh, events was, like what was actually going on uh, with the father um or with um well with the father as well when it came to the daughter which is something we can get into uh, touch on later if we choose to um but no i like it never was in doubt of like what the actual uh facts were but the way that she chose to play with it and again not to harp on the direction of this film but it's freaking incredible um the way that she visualizes the memory sequences it feels like memory it feels like remembering like when you're trying to explain to somebody what you perceive or maybe your perception of what they perceived um it can get confusing and you can start to doubt yourself like we see Eve start to doubt herself mm-hmm. um in the moment but then you know later on she'll eventually be like mm. you know i think i i, I remember uh, correctly and your attempt to get me to you know think differently is not going to work i think it's really powerful because even though uh, sicily her older sister is like trying to push a different version of events onto her eve even though questioning in the moment eventually sticks to her guns and is like no i believe in my i trust my i trust my memory i trust myself to remember what was what i saw and to believe what i saw um and then you know, in the same vein, uh, the way that she, uh, the way that Lemons visualizes the uh, murder of her husband by her lover, mm-hmm. so inventive, so beautifully done. Um, you know, that's not a me- that that is like a memory sequence, but it's not an instance where somebody's yeah. trying to change the perception of memory. 
Um, the way that those ghosts each time they came into the screen, like the first time we see them in the mirror, I was like, I gasped audibly. And then, yeah, like I'm getting chills right now. Me too. Her being in the mirror and then like walking back and she walks into the memory and we're still looking through the mirror. Like that blew my mind. That moment you're talking about of like the shooting of the lover, like the way Moselle is able to like enter the memory. It was, Mm. yeah, I just, I thought that was brilliant. I couldn't believe that. It was so good. Yeah. You, uh, you mentioned like how the site, the supernatural phenomenon at the center of this film, like the psychic powers that Ma, uh, Mazel and Eve appear to have, uh, might skip around like generations possibly. Mm-hmm. I, I almost saw it and it's mentioned in the criterion, um, blurb about, you know, these, this amazing ensemble of black actresses. They don't, they don't talk about Samuel Jackson at all, <laughs> but I almost thought that like the site only went to women in the family. That's also what I thought, but I couldn't tell cause Sicily and their mother doesn't don't, they don't seem to express that they're. So they're I think it's in the, I don't, do you remember it's the dad's side of the family, right? It's the Batiste. The Batiste are, I mean, we're, yeah, so mom from, wouldn't, yeah. yeah. So mom wouldn't have it. Mm, that's true. And maybe it skips around. But it, clearly the father, Samuel Jackson's character, does not have it. Yeah. I agree that it's probably the women. Yeah. Um, I think this is just a really interesting like uh, example of female gaze and like feminist filmmaking, even though it's not explicitly feminist in the story. Like this is not trying to make a broader point. This isn't like what we talked about last week with Do the Right Thing, where like there's an issue uh, on the table and there's a point where you're trying to grab a hold of our audience and shake into them. Yeah. Um, but this is filmed by a woman. It's not just written by and directed by a woman. The cinematographer is a, a woman. Oh, amazing. Um, yeah, I just, you know, the, the cast um, is stacked with these phenomenal black women that we've like been like, oh my God, I, I've seen this of. person. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like I've seen this person a million places, but just amazing performances uh, top to bottom. But the one that I'm most interested in is Journey Smollett, who's got to be like what? 10 or maybe like yeah she's yeah. little bitty and she's mind-blowing in this movie there are adult actors who cannot act this well <laughs> i mean she's acting in my opinion she's acting samuel L. jackson off the fucking screen uh i would agree with that he's a great actor but you know she's just freaking phenomenal in this film i want to figure it out for sure now she was born in 1986 this movie came out in 1997 she was like 11 then probably yeah nope she's 11 years old in this movie and it's crazy mind-blowing mind-blowing performance from a child she's a baby the only the only the only thing i can think to compare this to is frankie corio from uh as sophie and after son a film i've already mentioned once but like i think it also just goes back to the deft hand of a female actor turned filmmaker i think it just once again goes to speak to lemons's amazing directorial talent on this movie um to be able to pull this performance out of an 11 year old i mean there's that raw talent that journey smollett clearly has but as a director you have to be able to shape that talent you have to be able to mold the clay of this of this art right and um, and and kids need that guidance and clearly as a director cassie lemons was able to obviously create a brilliant performance with this kid yeah no i mean I think it's I think it's like amazing and like I don't know 
Oh gosh, get us on track, Mackenzie. <laughs> her and her and Debbie Morgan are definitely my favorite performances. I think in the movie, like I just think her. I think that even Moselle, I love their relationship. I love Moselle's whole vibe. She's just walking around being a black widow, and then has she kind of has this very Circean sort of romance with a man who wanders <laughs> into town, uh, even though she knows yeah. it's doomed, and he accepts his fate. And you're like, what? Like they they could have a whole movie. Like the two of them could have their whole yeah. spinoff, and I would I would be seated. Um, but I do think my favorite character in the movie is the immaculate Dion Carroll as Elzora, the uh, fortune teller. Um, Me too. Man, the first scene with the mom, with who also Lynn Woodfield as Roz is also yes. mind blowing. I mean, literally every woman in this movie. I'm, I'm the epitome of the Saoirse Ronan women uh, gif right now because they're all so amazing. But I loved the scene with Roz and Elzora where Roz is trying to ask for her future. And there's like, like again, what a a brilliantly directed scene. The tension there is amazing. And the performances there are great. And Elzora just becomes this really interesting character who by the end, I couldn't read. I couldn't tell. And I love that again, where Lemons is playing with our perception of events. I genuinely could not tell if spoiler alert. um, uh, Oh my gosh. Louis, Louis Lewis's death was from voodoo or from just the timely intervention of Eve telling, um, you know, Lenny Moreau about the affair. Like, I love that. Like, that's the biggest question to me in the movie is you can't quite tell what leads to his death because I couldn't tell if Elzora actually did do that or if she saw a child and was like, I'm just going to play it up for the kid. I don't know. She's just an interesting character in that last scene with her and Eve where that, that shot where it's pulling out and she's laughing like, a, like she's like an old hag in the bayou being fabulous. And I just was like, I just, Elzora yeah. was my favorite character. I just loved her a lot. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you on every single front. Like aside from journey Smollett, uh, Debbie Morgan, my favorite performance in the so film, good. but Elzora is my favorite character. And, you know, touching, um, and you know, going back to what you were saying though, about the, kind of battle between science and mysticism or religion um i think that's part of it i think like we're left to wonder like is it because of elzora's voodoo magic that uh lewis ends up dead um i think that's like one of the most interesting approaches to that is like uh it could be like to concretely say that it was or wasn't i think is somewhat uh somewhat damaging to the story and the narrative mm-hmm. and it just goes to so it just goes to show the trust in the audience to leave it up to them and i almost find it more interesting to not answer it and yeah. to not answer it myself just to let it be and let it sit i i think it's brave of lemons to not give the audience answers i think we are definitely in an age where audiences like to be spoon-fed a bit more especially with mainstream cinema and i think it's such a risk because even in the end we haven't gotten into it a lot but the major you know part of this story is lewis the father played by yeah. sam jackson and we can oh. and we can go and touch on that now if you want to yeah well i just want to mention that you know he kisses his daughter romantically and the film sort of plays with the idea of at by the end of like was it him that initiated or her that initiated i want to say either way he's a piece of shit and pedophilia is pedophilia no matter who initiated it to me like it's that's she's a child she's your child it's incestuous mm-hmm. um i'm glad he dies by lewis um but i do think it is inter- i'm not i am not trying to advocate for feeling bad for this character but i do think it is interesting that when you think the movie's over 
there's still layers to it. He still gets a voice. Mm -hmm. He still gets to defend himself and you still get to question the reality of that situation. And something that I think is so interesting is at the end, right? When Eve is like, just show me what happened. Let me see. We never get the answer. And I think that's so brave because like even Sicily can't access this memory because trauma has compacted it so much that she doesn't even know what happened. She's a child. And I just think that like, it's heartbreaking, but that's so well done. And I love that even it's a very complicated thing to talk about. I agree. I agree. I love that lemons with both Lewis's death and with the assault leaves it up in the air, leaves you questioning what is reality? What is the truth? Um, I think it's a brave thing to do and not many filmmakers I think would, would take that swing, especially with subject matter like that. And I just think it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, while he does get a voice in the end, while even at while even in death, he still gets to defend himself in like a letter he wrote, uh, pre his murder. The film and Sam Jackson's performance never make an effort to redeem him. No. He's never attempted to be like humanized in any like in any way that we might see in like more mainstream filmmaking. Mm. And I think it's a hundred percent because you're right. It's a huge risk for the filmmaker to. Uh, continue that voice on in death and have Eve read that letter you know the letter that's being read at the end of the film where he writes to Maz that you know oh you know I did not molest my daughter she came on to me and in my drunken you know confusion I hit her and I just you know my poor child I let her fall in love with me and I think that's really what uh, is the final nail in the coffin with his like his uh his his portrait being that of a monster is mm-hmm. when he basically has that line in the letter. There, there's no attempt to make him sympathetic at all no. up front, but that's like the final nail in it is like, oh, I let her fall in love with me. You know, I'm just so fucking cool. You know, I, I really want to like touch on what you were saying is like, I think it's a really big risk to take that step. And I think it is so well rewarded because it's, the best way that you can accurately depict trauma and the memory of trauma. Mm -hmm. Like that's the thing is like when we hear stories about children who suffer that kind of abuse in our culture and our society, it's always the burden is on them to implicate the adult and to give an accurate recording of events when their children and their perception of events can be skewed Mm -hmm. by so many different things. And that's such a burden to place on children. Um, And I thought it was just a really interesting depiction of how trauma can affect somebody in that stage of their development and also just how hard it can be to live through that and be able to, you know, I don't want to sound clinical here, but like report accurately on it. Um, You know, sometimes I can't remember what I had for dinner the previous night. How can we expect a child to, you know, you know, be so like studious while living through something so horrific it's just really interesting that even and this is what i think is truly the biggest risk and the greatest trust placed in the audience is when we see the vision that eve has when she places uh cicely's hands on hers we don't even get the final answer yeah it's just it's a it's a it's a solemn moment with sister and sister loving each other and holding each other and holding space for them to let that trauma exist and hopefully heal eventually. Um, yeah, no, it, it's, 
it's really beautiful in that way, even though it is so horrific and upsetting. Um, yeah, and I just think I think one of the mo- I think one of the other things that makes it so complicated and nuanced and interesting is that in the beginning of the film, Eve witnesses something traumatic, and her sister convinces her that it didn't ha- tries to convince her that it didn't happen, even though she believes her. And in the end of the film, Eve. Yes, I think I know what you're saying. Yeah, you see what I'm getting at is Eve doubts her sister the first chance she can get. Now, that's not where we leave them, of course, but she does doubt her sister the first chance she can get when she reads her father's confession, trying to paint himself in a good light. I don't know if you had anything to no, speak well, I was that, saying, but I just thought it was a really interesting. I, I loved I loved the one of my favorite lines in the film was, um, I believed you then, when Cicely admits, like, yeah. I, I did believe you in that moment. And, like, they both it's interesting the way they both have to deal with these, this idealized version of their father, because they did love him. They did look up to him. They did idolize him. And they, and and it's complicated, especially when this type of trauma comes from a parent. Um, And it's hard to reckon with the fact that like that trauma can be true, but that love can also be true. Those two conflicting truths exist in the same, with a lot of abusive relationships of all kinds those two truths mm-hmm. exist the trauma and the love at yeah. the same time and like it's a very very complicated thing to talk about and again it's just like i was kind of baffled at how well i think it was tackled in this film because this is that is generally subject matter i try to avoid i had no clue this film would include it when i started it up but i mm-hmm. i was impressed by the way it approaches it and yeah i don't know i just i loved the line i believed you then like cicely admitting that she was trying to create to, to keep up this image of their father that they had in their head if not for herself but also for her little sister and admitting that like when he did that to her that image of him obliterated you know what i mean um and i and i want to there's two quotes i want to share i want to share the first one here because the last se- monologue of the film is like the movie so like after the sequence happens i love older eve saying but the truth changes color depending on the light and tomorrow can be clearer than yesterday. Memory is a selection of images, some elusive others printed indelibly on the brain. Each image is like a thread, each thread woven together to make a tapestry of intricate texture. And that tapestry tells a story and the story is our past. Like that just felt like the entirety of the film in that moment. And it was, it was so, it's really brilliant. It's a brilliant ending. It's really upsetting, but also interesting and also loving. It's like, it's, the fact that like this scene can encapsulate all of those feelings at the same time. I don't know if I've ever seen anything like it. Like really. Yeah, it is. It is just one of the most accurate depictions of uh, the relationship between abuser and abused of child and parent of sister and sister. Um, Just in show it goes to show that like relationships are complicated and nuanced, even when they are ugly and violent. Um, and I think it's like I think it's like a trite cliche at this point when people might say something in a public forums where it's like, well, why did they stay with their abuser? Um, yeah. In this instance, it doesn't really apply because they're children. They're children. And they have no agency in that in that matter. But it does really go to show that, like, I love how you phrased it. Like, the, those two conflicting things can be true at the same time. Like, you can love your father and hate him vehemently for the abuse that he has caused you. I mean, I think we all have complicated relationships with our parents. Mm -hmm. Um, Whoever you are, it's more, it's more common than not. Um, And while, you know, 
while I'm in no way, shape, or form comparing uh, my experience or people's experience who I know to the ones portrayed in this film because that is um, irresponsible. That's not what I'm doing, 100%. Um, but it is just really interesting to see very honest and complicated relationships relationships such as these portrayed in such in such a thoughtful and to borrow a phrase from you earlier in the show deft way like it's it is the the most deft hand it's 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 fantastic um yeah what was the other quote Mackenzie? oh well the other quote is i love when moselle is on the balcony or on the the porch with eve and this is another thing that just kind of made me i just i loved moselle's character a lot and i loved the quote too, yeah. when she's watching the ghosts of her husbands walk out of the fog which is a brilliant beautiful shot and she says life is filled with goodbyes eve a million goodbyes and it hurts every time sometimes i feel like i've lost so much i have to find new things to lose all I know is that there must be some divine point to it all, and it's just over my head. Then when we die, it will all come clear, and we'll say, so that was the damn point. And sometimes I think there's no point at all, and that's the point. All I know is most people's lives are a great disappointment to and no one leaves this earth without feeling terrible pain. And if there is no divine explanation at the end of it all, oh, that's sad. Uh, that to me encapsulated the idea of mysticism versus science of like, how do we explain the things that happen to us and how do we, we use mysticism, we use religion, we use science, we use all of these things to explain the things that happen to us through these lives. And um, yeah. And if if we lose our ability as humans to try to grasp for explanations, then then it's sad. Then like what what's ha why are these things happening to us? I don't know. It's just man, this movie rips. This movie's great. I think I'm yeah. talking. I think yeah. I was at a certain level in terms of we're not getting to stars yet. But I was at a certain level with this, and I think the more I talk about, it, the more I'm like, this is a really brilliant piece of cinema, uh, and it's a very special special movie. No, it's really, really fantastic. Um, and I, I wasn't even thinking about the scientific aspect that you've been bringing up um, here and there, but like, I really love that quote because it goes to, you know, really paint the picture for the point that you've been making. I also just think it's uh, interesting when you think about how magic and spirituality and mysticism can help us deal with trauma mm -hmm. and also, you know, how this is a story largely told from the point of view of adolescence and how that's kind of sometimes how we rationalize bad things is like satan the devil or just evil forces in general mm -hmm. um curses no i just i think i think it's something really it, it's given me a lot to think about beyond this conversation it's yeah no this movie does in fact rip um <laughs> yeah i mean you know, I, th I think we are running a little bit out of time. So did you have any final thoughts in a star rating, Mackenzie, before we reveal what we're doing next week? Oh, man. Yeah, I'm looking at my notes again and, and really just I'm just so struck by how amazing the performances in this film are, how well written it is. And really, the, this conversation has especially proved to me 
the directing is what makes this film and that's not always the case there's like like obviously there's directors i love and i love their trademarks but this is the first time in a very long time where the dire- the directing was so specific and so brilliant that it really struck me like i even looked at my first note even little things like that transition from black and white to color through the tree using the tree yes. to transition into a color like little things that like brilliant little moments that just show the talent cassie lemons has um and so we as a society need to give cassie lemons money to make whatever movie she wants because this is so good (laughs) um yeah i just you know i was what i think in the moment i felt like the second act dragged a bit but like this conversation has kind of made me forget all of that i don't know i might be going just five stars for this movie because i really I'm just struck by it. I think it's a movie that I'll return to often. It's a really, really, really good movie. And as I said, if you decide to seek out one film from the Criterion Connection podcast that you've never seen before, let this be it. Because it's really, really, I think this movie should be seen by more people. And it's it's really good. Yeah. So I think I was teetering around, you know, four, four and a half because the subject matter and the pacing in the second half. But like, I, I, I think I can forgive those things because it is just a really well done movie. Um. But what, where are you at? What are your final thoughts? Your star rating? I'm curious. I I was watching it and I was like, I cannot tell if Ian's going to like this or not. And I'm glad that you seem to like it, but I'm curious where you're going to land. Yeah. Um, you know, before that, I just want to, I just want to reiterate and echo you more money for Cassie Lemons. More, I want original films from Cassie Lemons. Um, so Hollywood studio system, I'm looking at you. Come on, give this woman some money. Um, but yeah, no, I I love this film. And you know, Mackenzie, we just seem to kind of keep on talking ourselves and each other into higher ratings. <laughs> I was sitting at four and a half because yeah. I freaking love this thing. And I also just want to mention before I give my final rating, which is five stars. Um, we've talked about a lot of heavy things, and we've talked a lot about the brilliance of lemons in her filmmaking and her style and her approach and her writing. But there's like a lot of fun in this movie too. Yes. Outside of like the deeper things. Like I'm, I'm going to, you know, be the you from last week's episode where I was focusing on all the heavier stuff of do the right thing. And you just had to tell, you just had to be like, Hey, like there's a lot of humor in this. There's also, there's also a lot of humor in Eve's Bayou. I laughed uh, really rapturously a couple times during the film. Um, I didn't ever feel like a drag. Um, so I was sitting nicely at four and a half, but I'm definitely a five after this conversation. <laughs> it is just such an achievement. Um, some of the best writing, um, some of the best direction. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, aside from Code Unknown, which was a pick of mine, this is my favorite first watch we've covered so yeah. far. And yeah, that might keep on happening, but that means this is this is the this is my favorite you've picked oh, so thank far. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to say yeah. I did say those two very heady lines, but my other favorite funny line was um, when they are locked in the house because their mother's scared they're going to get hit by a bus and they're reading all the Shakespeare <laughs> and she goes, "We're started on the goddamn comedies." I thought it was a hilarious <laughs> line reading from Little Baby yes. Journey Smollett. Um, like that whole sequence was very funny. Yeah, like there's there is a lot of humor off heart. It's it's an interesting movie. It's really really good. Again, I cannot yeah. recommend you if you've listened to this whole conversation, you know too much about this film. But please go check it out yeah. if you have not seen it already. Yeah, and yeah, I mean like 
even if you've had a lot of the things that we've talked about spoiled for you at this point, it is still such a visual feast. Like it is so lush. It is so well photographed and you are not getting the full juice from Mackenzie and I repeating stuff on this podcast. <laughs> you need to go watch this film. It is um, on Paramount Plus. So if you have a Paramount Plus Ooh. subscription, you can go get that. But I rented it for four bucks off of Apple. It's on Showtime as well. I watched it on, um, I have Showtime. You know me because I got to watch my, the L word and Yellow Jackets. Um, that's right. But that's because it's Showtime Paramount. Oh, now, whoa. They're shared. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah, you you if you have Showtime, you do have Paramount. You just got to activate it. I oh, think. Oh, jinkies! All right. Yeah, you should check it out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go to oh, it was uh, America's Network. Is that the one? I don't remember which one Kev calls that, but yeah, does Kev always say Paramount plus America's Network strikes again? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, normally this is the point in the show where we would hear from all of our lovely listeners, but this week, Mackenzie, sad face. We do not have any voicemails or emails, but if people do watch Ease By You and they want to tell you and I what they thought, or if they want to write in about anything we've covered in the past, do the right thing, Francis Ha, among a slew of amazing films, they can write us or send us their voicemails under 90 seconds to thecriterionconnection at gmail.com. Don't forget the the, as we say every time. Otherwise, we won't get your email or voicemail. We will not. And now we are connecting to Eve's Bayou with Ian's next pick, which is going to be an exciting one. And I want to say, I want to say, this is going to be a big summer. We're gonna, we got some amazing picks. Me and, Ian are, me and Ian are coordinating a bit. We got some amazing picks. And next week's is no exception. Ian, please reveal to the audience what film you've chosen to connect to Eve's Bayou. I will, and I apologize for the lack of information. The letterbox logline is not very long, <laughs> but we are going to be watching Spine number 541, the one and only film ever directed by the great actor Charles Lawton in the Deep South. A serial-killing preacher hunts two young children who know the whereabouts of a stash of money. The Night of the Hunter from 1955, once again, directed by Charles Lawton, the actor of such great films such as Stanley Kubrick's Spartacus, the pre-code horror film Island of Lost Souls, as well as the amazing Billy Wilder film Witness for the Prosecution. So this is something that is so big in cinephile communities. I think I see two or three posts on the Criterion subreddit a week about this movie and how good it looks and how it's crazy that uh, Lawton never directed another film. Yeah. Wow. A really highly regarded film. Um, and I think this is going to connect in a couple different ways, like coming of age, loss of innocence, as well as young people seeing the um, horrors of adults mm. in their vicinity and reckoning with that. So I'm super excited to finally check this out. Uh, we were talking about it a little bit off mic and you said your brief research into the film yielded some very striking imagery that you're excited about. Yeah, I did like a single Google image search and I was like, that's what this movie looks like? Because I've heard the the title a bunch <laughs> and I think I made assumptions about um, the visual language of this film and uh, a single Google search has piqued my interest like no other. So let's do it. I'm so excited to watch this. It's it's in the top 250 of all time on Letterboxd. And like, I've just, I've seen it a million times. Uh, I, yeah, I'm so pumped to watch this. 
So if you would like to watch The Night of the Hunter with us, it is streaming currently on Amazon Prime as well as Tubi. We gotta love, love Tubi. Tubi. Tubi TV. Gotta... <laughs> gotta love Tubi and so you can watch along with us if you'd like to discuss send us a letter to the criterion connection at gmail.com let us know what you thought about the night of the hunter and it's gonna be a great week of movies I'm super excited Mackenzie but until then <laughs> see you next week on the criterion connection me who starts again yeah, i knew it me uh you yeah me all right great yeah. we love it we love it we love it we love it